Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. For everyone who rushed to get to this episode, yes, we will talk about William Nylander. <laughs> There's other stuff we're going to talk about, too. Uh, like all-star representatives, uh, Ilya Samsonov will come up as well. Uh, the World Juniors will come up as well. The PWHL, too. But I'd like to ask you, CJ, how's life? How's How are things? How was the holidays? It feels like it's been a minute. I know there was an episode that dropped earlier this week, but uh, we we pre-recorded that. It's actually been It's actually been quite some time since we've seen each other. Yeah, I know the OGs have probably figured out by now the last couple were uh, put in the tank ahead of time, which was good. It gave you time to go back to Montreal, gave producer Nick time, gave myself some time. I must admit, I feel like not rusty. That would be overstating it, but it's just like a little out of practice because we do have the normal rhythm and, and we haven't recorded one of these in real time in a little while. So I'm good. The holidays were were great. Lots of time with family and, and a little bit of time to unplug. And I feel a little like, oh, man, it's just weird to, to get back into the routine um but man it's 2024 i'm hopeful i think great things are ahead it's gonna be an abundant amazing year and uh, i'm ready to get after it did you write your goals for 2024 yet not done yet but pondered i pondered them okay. but they haven't I, wrote, I haven't put pen to paper yet i wrote a few uh i'll add a few more to that list but i do have a few but i'm, I'm really glad you got some time off and I'm grateful that everyone uh, got to listen to some of the last few episodes while we were on a break. But now we're back at it, and now we need to delve into these topics. William Nylander. Nick Kiprios dropping a bomb on everyone earlier this week, saying that uh, 11.25 mil, that could be the number. It's around there. Maybe it's that. We could see a resolution soon. Who knows? Please add some clarification to the William Nylander situation, a story we have been chasing all season long to this <laughs> point. You know, I don't know if it was a bomb, and I'm not trying to correct you or Nick either. Uh, it's like one of these ones, of course, it, it makes a stir. You know, my sense of where we're at with William Nylander and the Leafs is that they've been digging a lot away at this for quite a long time now. They've been having a, a continued dialogue, and we are now getting closer to the point where I think they have to to make a deal. You know, when I say closer, I still think there's time until the trade deadline um, even time until the all-star break, you know, potential sort of soft deadlines you could put in place. But, you know, there's there's definitely been, I think, a little bit of understanding about where this is headed. You know, eight years is what we're expecting for the term. You know, I think 11 million potentially plus is is basically the range for where the salary is going. And, and I think that the talks are in a healthy place. But, you know, as we're recording this, it's been stressed to me from multiple people that this thing ain't done and that there's still, you know, a lot, I guess that needs to fall into place before you're getting, you know, you're, you're taking the contract to the league, you're getting it signed. You're having a press conference, you're smiling and kissing babies and doing all the things you do when you announce a big contract. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of what happened with David Pasternak last year in Boston, where for that entire season, you know, there was a grind of a contract negotiation behind the scenes and never any sense he was leaving Boston, but you know, it didn't happen quickly or easily even if you look in January and February, there's all these reports. They're close. They're close. They're close. The contract was finalized on March 2nd. 
you know, I'm not saying it's going to take till March 2nd to get Nylander done, but you know, I would caution anyone who's expecting this any minute now that it's not a foregone conclusion. I think that there's still some issues to be worked out here, but talks are in a good place. And, and let's face it. I mean, there's, there's a couple ways for us to attack this story, right? Nylander has wanted to be a leaf all along. They've wanted to be him to be a player on their team all along. Brad Trilliving on the first day of training camp said, this is a priority. It's now an imperative. I mean, when you see the way Nylander has performed this year, uh, how well he's played, I don't think the Leafs have a choice, honestly. And I know the number is going to – people out there will will either bash it or I'm sure you know, there will be these columns of anonymous you know, people working for other teams taking a kick at the contract when it's done. I mean, because that's – you know, we've seen this sort of thing happen. But I don't, I don't think the Leafs have a choice, quite honestly. And, and you know, I expect the number – to be north of 11 million when it's, when it's all said and done. I, I, I don't, I don't know where that's going to land. I, I would suspect based on sort of what I, I know is that the number itself isn't fully defined. I think the range is, is pretty clear here, but how that money gets paid out in terms of the signing bonuses and everything else could, could dictate a little bit one way or the other where the actual AV lands. But, you know, we're talking about a player that's going to surpass Mitch Marner, uh, I believe on, on Marner's current deal. Uh, is where you know you're going to see Nylander land. He's going to be second behind uh, Austin Matthews on the Leafs on AAVs when this is done. Um, and and I do expect it to get done at some point in time, but we're not there just yet. So I don't want to. I'm probably radioing myself already. I don't even know what I've said. I'm trying to be very measured and clear, but I'm I'm sure I've said too much already in some way. I'm, I I can't wait until someone takes what you've said and then turns it into an exaggeration of what you've said, and it turns out to incite an entire fan base into thinking you said one thing when you said something else. Because that never happens. Let's not go back down that road. No. But yeah, I mean, obviously, look, it, this is in a good spot. It's not done. Um, but, you know, if you want high-level takeaways, like if you just want to know, if you don't want to get into all the minutia and you're a big Leafs fan, or maybe if you're a fan of another team, but you're just curious about where this sits... You know, I think all signs are pointing to an eight-year deal for Nylander getting done in Toronto at some point here in the future. I just don't know if the future is three weeks or three days. And I don't think that the key principal people involved at this point know if it's going to be three weeks or three days until it's done. But, I mean, there's a general understanding at the table. You know, you can't let this drift on forever. They, I think they've, they've made some ground. They're trying their best to keep it all under a lid. Um, and it is pointing in a positive direction, but it's, it's certainly not done as we're recording this tonight. I have two follow-up questions. One smaller picture question, the other one larger picture question. Let's start with the smaller one. So we know there's a money figure out there. We know the Leafs know this is important for them to do. What is the holdup from this coming together like now? What's the one thing that's holding this up? Well, you know, I think William Nylander is probably pushing for something more like 11 and a half million on an eight year deal. I'm sure the Leafs are trying to keep it to more like 11 million or 10.95 or, you know, but I mean like, and so there can be a little bit of a negotiation, even when you've got to a healthy spot with talks about exactly where that number lands, depending on how the money's paid out and if it's all up front. And, you know, obviously there's, there's trade clauses and, and things that go in these deals. Like I think that, I think that even when you get to a healthy spot, there's still a little bit of wiggle room at the end about where it ends up. And so that's, that's probably a part of it. 
I would say. I mean, the other part of it is just functional. The Leafs are in California as we're recording this on a road trip. You know, I'm not saying it can't ever get done when you're on a, a road trip. I remember years ago, uh, Dion Phaneuf's, uh, I believe it was an eight-year extension, a long-term extension in Toronto got done the day before the Winter Classic when we were in Ann Arbor, Michigan. That's a different Leafs regime, different time, but I mean, an, an example of in season, a major contract, a major decision with the team captain at the time. You know, you can do you can do that stuff on the road, but I think generally it's not where the business gets done. And so, you know, I think that that's, that's maybe the best way to articulate it. The other is, you know, deadlines tend to move, you know, to spur action. And so I can say to you, Julian, I want this. And you can say, I want that. And you sort of need the deadline where maybe we move. And, and so maybe the deadline hasn't quite got here. But, you know, I, I think if, if we sort of, again, zoom out, it's it's all headed in a good direction. But I've been saying that all along. I, I, I don't know if you remember the episode. Early in the season, I think I said I'd be 90% sure it's going to get done or something like that. And everyone went nuts at the time. And I was like, what? Was that a hot take? Because uh, it didn't. If, to me, I've, I've never not thought he was not going to sign in Toronto. Like, I've yet to have any moment in time where I felt like the talks were either off the rails or there just was a misunderstanding. I mean, William Nylander couldn't be more clear. He he wants to be a leaf and he followed up his best ever season last year. If you remember his best season was two years ago by points in the goals and assists. Then last year was the next best 40 goals, 87 points, I believe was he's now on pace as we're recording this for over 115 points. You know, he's continued to get better. He's clearly more important to the team. He's playing a higher role on the on the penalty kill. He's playing more minutes in general for, for the Leafs this year. He's on he's producing more and he wants to be in Toronto. And I don't think that's ever changed. I don't think that there's ever this sort of like low key, yeah, but he's trying to angle himself to this situation on July first. I, I think truly he's been open with his intent, and I think the Leafs from their side have been the same way. And and so, you know. Where where you're going to end up is it's this is going to be a way bigger contract than the average observer would have probably said last June, but it's also it's kind of hard to argue with what you're seeing. I mean he's he's got points in 31 of 35 games this year, uh, well inside the top 10 in scoring. Been probably the Leafs' most complete player. I mean Austin Matthews is coming off a ridiculous December where he scored 15 goals, and you know he's going to be the Leafs' All Star nominee when they announce that on Thursday night. But you know I, I do think that that Nylander will, will join him there ultimately. And so he's kind of done everything he can do and the team's taken its time. And I just, I think they're going to get to where they need to get to, but you know, they're not, they're not quite there just yet. Then let me ask my big picture, my big picture question. Could the Leafs realistically afford a core that has Austin Matthews making a little over 13 mil John Tavares, at least through 2025, making 11 mil Mitch Marner, making a shade under 11 mil and then William Nylander reaching that point. Yes. The reason they can do it is because the salary cap's going up $4 million next year. They have, a, they have a ton of money due to come off the books, whether that's TJ Brody, uh, Max Domi, Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, you know, these are all expiring contracts. And so from a, from a functional standpoint, if, if you factor in you know, the idea that, that Matthews' extension kicks in next season, so he's getting a raise of, what, $1.6 million, um, to, to next season, you know, Nylander's looking at a raise here, potentially of 4 million, maybe a little bit more. I mean, it's, it's a lot. I'm not denying that, but that's basically soaked up by the, the natural rise in the NHL salary cap. And then you, you couple that with the fact that the Leafs have contracts coming off the books. I didn't even include Elias Samsonov, but he's also an expiring deal this season. The, the Leafs can very much make this work. Now, now whether it's the right way to go, 
that's an open question. Like, like, you know, I think that this has been an experiment in some ways in the cap world with the way the Leafs have allocated the money of their top four forwards. Um, obviously it hasn't resulted in playoff success. They've had a ton of regular season success. You know, that, that, that debate will continue on, but from a functional standpoint, the Leafs can make it work. And, and I would remind you too, Julian, after next season, John Tavares has $11 million contract comes off the books. Now, now, you know, I don't think you necessarily want to just see him walk away. If you look at how productive he's remained for the Leafs, but maybe, maybe he's signing a contract beyond this one that, that works a little bit more in the team's favor. And all of this can be symbiotic and, you know, Mitch Barner can be, we'll be talking about his deal on next year's show at this time. I mean, I, I do think it can all work, but you know, one thing we have now is Brad Trilliving, a new general manager who wasn't tied to the decisions that were made uh, when all these players were coming out of entry level, you know, as was Kyle Dubas, either as the GM in charge or, you know, someone who was there as, as second or third in command behind Lou Lamorello. Um, you know, we, we have a fresh set of eyes on, on this, this kind of situation generally, but the, the Leafs can make this work from a Caps perspective, no question. And, you know, it's going to be on the players to keep being productive, but you've already signed Matthews. Like it's just at the end of it, no matter we can, you know, we can debate what is the exact right number. Someone might say it's 10.5. Someone might say it's 11.5. Someone might say it's 11. The truth is, I don't think there's much debate that William Nylander is a difference-making player in the league. Those are really hard players to get. And if you let him go, what are you doing? Right, you yeah, know, and so I think the, the exactly. Leafs get that, though. Like, they get it. He wants to stay. They want to keep him. It's going to be a huge contract. He's a star player in the league. And stars get paid, man. And, and so don't be surprised. I'm telling you, that number might end up being a little higher than what's been out there when all is said and done, and it might be a little higher than a lot of people are expecting, but I, it's hard to argue against the fact that he's, he's earned it. It might, it might not be totally comparable to players around the league or all, you know, people are going to say that, but we have to remember the cap is going up big time next season. And there's at least the implication or the idea that it's going to continue to go up over the life of any future contracts. And that's something that players are bringing to the table too. And Nylander's got all the leverage. He can walk out the door if he wants July 1st, he's having a career year. And he's clearly a huge part of what the Leafs are doing. And so I, I think they're going to get it done. It's just, let's see how long it takes to get there. Can't wait until we do a future episode of this show and the signing will break in the middle of our recording. That's what I think is going to happen. I would love that. It, it's only if it breaks five minutes after that's annoying. Yeah. Because then we have yeah. to blow it all up again. If not, if it happens we in the middle. literally would have to blow up an entire show. It, we would do like a random like Monday show. And then five minutes after we learn about that, that show's gone. That would be like a lost episode. I don't know. Nick's Nick's a wizard. I think we could just like graft on a news opening or something. We'd find a way, I guess. I but, don't I mean, know. look at that's the nature of doing business. You, we, you, we can't broadcast these things live. At least not yet. At least not every week. No, not yet. And so everything's recorded to some degree. And yeah, you, you, you run the risk you run. Uh, you touched off on Ilya Samsonov. Uh, in that earlier discussion, uh, what are your thoughts on what he's going through right now with the Toronto Marlies not going through a great time at the NHL level? Yeah, it's a difficult situation. I think, you know, what's interesting here or or notable here, maybe better way to put it, you know, he's dealing, I think, primarily with a, a mental sort of issue, a mental block, as, as opposed to just something that's, you know, technical or in his form. And, you know, we're talking about a goaltender who who carried a lot of the Leafs hopes last year, who played most of their biggest games. I know he got injured towards the end of the playoffs, but you know, was in net for a lot of their successes last season and, you know, earned a raise to 3.55 million 
to what he's making this year. And it just, it has not worked. And the team has worked with him. Like they've given him little breaks already, you know, not where they put him on waivers and send him down to the AHL the way I have this week. Um, you know, but they've had him not be the backup on certain nights and called Martin Jones up to be a backup to Joseph Wall. And you know, I think they've, they've tried kind of everything. And this is the newest or latest and maybe biggest Hail Mary yet is to totally remove him from the situation as an NHL goaltender to, to put him through waivers, which I think for any proven NHL player, I mean, it's an uncomfortable idea, right? As, as much as it was probably unlikely someone was going to grab him, you never know. And you might have to move, you know, within 24 hours if just one team claims you. Uh, on top of that, it's just it's kind of a public acknowledgement about how bad your situation's going. There's there's no positive spin to be spun here other than Martin Jones started the year as Leafs third goaltender. He's been great so far in limited action. He's 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 allowed them to get through a, a tough time. Um, you know, but the best outcome here is still for Elias Samsonov to regain some degree of form in the Leafs playing him. I just don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, I don't think the Leafs can know that, right? I mean, they're this this is a pretty you know, it's a pretty extreme course of action to take. I mean, I I don't I don't blame them. You know, he got to a point where he was second last in the entire league in save percentage for any number of goalies that have played meaningful number of minutes and and the other one that was below him is Antti Ranta who's in the same spot in Carolina was sent down to the AHL. I know he's since been recalled by the Hurricanes, but I mean, you're Sort of desperate times call for desperate measures. And, you know, for on a human level, I, I hope the best for Ilya. I hope that he can kind of get in, in the right mental space to to do what he does well when when clearly he is in, at his best. And if not, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what could be next. I mean, everyone wants to say, well, what's the trade? Like, like I would say to you, who would they be trading for? With yeah. what assets? With what cap space? Like, how does that all work? I mean, I, I'm not saying the front office isn't looking at those options or thinking about them, but... I think that the, the I'll, I'll save you the homework. If you haven't looked at them or thought about them, there's not an easy answer. There's not, there's not like a, an obvious quick solution here. And that's why the Leafs are in the spot they're in. You know, Samsonov is, is li- literally working one-on-one with uh, Henry Toivonen, uh, you know, a, a goaltending coach within the organization. He's not practicing in the HL. He's not, not at this time playing in the HL and the Leafs are hoping he can get back to the NHL at some point in the near future. And we'll have to see, but there's opportunity here. We haven't even talked about the Hildebeest. Yeah. De- he's Dennis Hildebeest. Yeah, like, he's supposed to be making his, his debut. I, I do want to ask one thing about Samsonov and, and what they have sure. him going through with the Marlies. Like, I get we're not goalie experts, but the fact that he's not practicing or, or playing with them, at least to me, that's a bit of a surprise. But also, we've seen other goalies go through that, and it doesn't always work well. Jack Campbell earlier this year sent to Bakersfield and just – had some stinkers of games is I, I wonder why the Leafs are going for the opposite approach. Right. Well, and this is only the first week of it. So like, I don't see this going on weeks and weeks and weeks where he's kind of in limbo. I think that they're taking it a little bit more day by day to see how things go. But that, that has to be a factor is that just by playing a game, in the HL, even when you're in, been an NHL quality goaltender, doesn't mean it's going to go well. You're playing behind a different team. It's a different, different game to some degree. And, and obviously you, if you arrive there, you're not arriving there at your best. You're not arriving there ready to, to dominate the way you might at another time in, in your life. And so I think that's, that's definitely a big part of it. And, but then the flip side, you're right. It's a weird situation. Cause you're going to say, well, then how can he get better? I mean, we understand he can get better by maybe calming himself down, getting out of the grind of whether it's the media spotlight, the, the game prep, the, 
the, the practice at the NHL level. Like I, I can understand how that could become a negative thing, but it's, you're almost like, how can you build yourself back up again without playing or practicing? And maybe the answer is this time next week when we're recording the show, he's, he's playing games for the Marlies and that's, that's kind of how they end up. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how that's all going to shake out just yet, but you know, I, I think this is an example though, of how far we've come in a lot of ways or how things have changed. Just the fact, I mean, this truly is just a mental break at this point in time. Um, they're, they're obviously taking the opportunity to work on the physical aspects of the game and some of the technical ones too with him. But, um, you know, you just wouldn't have seen this type of thing. I don't think in the past. And again, I I've got no idea if it's going to work. Unfortunately, it's been tough for Ilya. It just feels like from the start of training camp, just never really got back to where he was. It's not to say he hasn't had good starts along the way, but it, it, it feels like he's been chasing it all year long. And you know, now he's in a position with Martin Jones playing well. And, you know, once Joseph Wall gets which gets healthy again, I mean, he just might not be one of the best two options in, in the organization, even when healthy, even, even without acquiring someone, he just might not be on the NHL roster. And that's, that's kind of the reality of his situation. And he's got to work his way back from that and fight through and battle to be in a position, I guess, to be one of the two goalies when, when this season really gets to his most important days. And that is going to do it for Leafs Corner, our first one of 2024. That was a long one. <laughs> that was a very long Leafs Corner. Did I say anything I'm going to regret or what? Uh, uh, nah. Nah. Well, everyone freaked nah. out when I said it was 90% sure the Orlando would remain a Leaf. I'm now 98% sure. So, <sighs> 98%. You're laying a lot on the line with that one. Well, if you already said 90, I'm not backing down. Now it's now there's more information. There's more time. Obviously, there's been more talks and contracts. I mean, you always, you always have to leave yourself a sliver of the unknown. Something could happen that you don't foresee. A black swan event, it's called in the financial world. It's something a you just... black swan event. I thought that was just a movie. I think it's a, in the financial world, it's a reference to something you just don't see coming. Like just something that you can't even almost imagine. I mean... It would be like us in 2019 predicting that they wouldn't be able to finish the 2019-20 NHL's regular season because of the pandemic. Like you just, it's like it wouldn't. It was on no one's radar. So I mean, there, there could be something like that. But I mean, beyond the absolute unknown, I think it's it's going to happen. Big money siege. Let's get to the NHL All Star game. It's Thursday. You're going to know uh, which players, one from each team will represent at uh, this year's game, which will be in Toronto in February. What do we know about that process? What are your thoughts on one player per team for this event? <sighs> I feel like there's like a lot I could unload on this. Please do. It, it's more, it's, it's a complicated process, right? Not every player necessarily wants to go to the all-star game. And so I think that behind the scenes, there might be some degree. I won't call it negotiation, but just let's face it. The league on Thursday night will announce one representative for every NHL team. Now on some teams, San Jose, it might be tough as an example to say that a player there is an all-star in the class of the other players that are picked in a league. We had a but dump are... on San Jose there. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus well, Christ. Be... Well, who's their all-star? I'll give you a minute to go know. to hockey DB and I'd like to see who you pick. Okay. You know what? I, I will go to hockey DB. And I'm also San not Jose. trying to hate on them, but I'm just saying some, they're in a clear rebuild. They're, they're best or most notable. I guess it's Thomas hurdle probably is, is pretty good answer. guess. I mean, he leads the team in points. Yes. 
but and and look at it. And Hurdle's a great player. Like I'm not actually, but in the scope of what this is, the problem is you have teams like, an Edmonton. Or I mean, let's go around the league. There's so many teams where it's between three or four players, right? Like like legitimate. You're like, wow. How do you choose between a Maserati and a Ferrari and a Porsche and a you know like it's it's a tough Lamborghini Lamborghini cars. Uh, what's a McLaren? Yeah, like and and as I say, sorry, I'm really not trying to kick a team. I'm just trying to point out that that the problem with one per team is that there's definitely some teams where it's difficult. And I will say this, I've become known, like this is something I've become attuned to in the last couple of years, maybe just getting older, knowing more players. There's a lot of players who want to go who aren't going to get a chance because, you know, maybe they play beside the Lamborghini and then the other team is sending like a Toyota Corolla. And it's not maybe entirely <laughs> fair. Toyota Corollas are nice vehicles. Their maintenance is not that tough and they're fine. That was an Easter egg for my dad. My dad has driven. <laughs> it's funny. We were trying to figure out over the holidays. He's driven like nine straight Toyotas, like going back as far as I can remember. He doesn't That's buy amazing. lots of new cars, but like, let's say he gets a new car every three to four years, like going back like eight or nine vehicles. He's had a Toyota. He, he will swear by it. They're so I'm also cars. not right. Good cars. Fine. But like not the sexiest. Th- you, you don't have a car show to have Toyotas there, right? You yeah. have a car show to show off the, the goods. That's true. That's true. So why not have a format that allows you to show off the goods? Why not have a format that allows, you know, Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr to be announced as, you know, guys who will for sure be at this event as opposed to having fans, you know, do the work for them. Because I think there were, they want to have interest in every market. And this is where maybe it's too old school of thinking, right? Like if you remember, like what has been the longest, this, this is not a new trope. But this has been out there that that like the league would rather market teams versus stars and all that kind of stuff. That's been a thing forever. Yes. Right. And so I think this is born out of that. Now, I'm not saying we can't evolve beyond it. Like the question is, if you're a hockey fan in San Jose or Northern California, like maybe you still want to see McCarr and McKinnon and McDavid and Matthews and Bedard and Bedard, like like maybe you and, and you understand that, hey, you're a Sharks fan deep down. Be like, hopefully we get the next version of those guys because our team's going down this path. Like, like I do think the modern sports fan maybe is a little bit, it's not as hyper-local as it used to be, right? Like, it was local when I was a kid, Julian, in all seriousness, because you couldn't physically see other games. Like, there was no, you would have had to get someone to mail you a VHS of a game. So someone would have had to, like, like if if I had a friend in Dallas would have had to record a game on TV physically put it something in the mail who knows how long that would have taken to get to me like i at best i'm watching a week old game and so Man, that's how y'all went that that's how it went down back well in the it didn't days. go this is what happened you didn't watch the rest of the league you watched them when they came through your town like and yes. and if you lived in somewhere like new york or whatever of course you could see a little bit more because there's multiple teams but in general you understand the idea here yeah and but i just don't think we live in that world anymore i don't think as much as i do think people root mostly for the, the team in their community. There's lots of examples. I mean, my nephew lives in Mississauga and he's a diehard Habs fan. So, I mean, just, like, it's just cause he, you know, he loved the Habs when he was a kid and there he goes. Like it wasn't, no one made him. It just, he, he, he got onto that and then there he is. And I think there's lots of that stuff. So I guess what I'm getting at is I understand that the idea of wanting to include all the teams, 
but I'm just, I think there's so, there's too many limitations to it. And you look at some of the sort of most potent teams in the league, the best teams in the league, like they should have three or four players there. And the math doesn't really add up for that because there's only 12 extra players after the original 32 for fans to vote in. And so, you know, the games in Toronto, Austin Matthews is going to be the Leafs named representative by the NHL. <gasps> Are you allowed to say that? Well, I, I, I can because it's my show's called the Chris Johnson show. <laughs> oh no I, I think that's the one spicy thing you were worried about uh, you no, just you no, just said no, that in front of everybody oh no austin matthews what no, a shock. No, no. but i'm just saying well it could be a shock though because quite literally you, you if you've been watching the leaves closer this year or you paid oh, attention Nylander. to the zeitgeist that means william nylander is not picked now i think it's reasonable to expect leaf fans because there's a fan voting portion we'll probably get at least one more player in the game it's probably going to be nylander but it's not a guarantee. I I don't know. I don't know the perfect answer. You want your fans to care about this, but I, I do think ultimately, come on, let's just get all the best players. I don't care if they play on 17 teams. Like if you got 42 of the best players or 44, I guess it would be, and they played only on 22 teams, would it be the end of the world? Okay. There's one other thing that I realize in all of this too, and maybe you disagree. Maybe you agree. I'm not sure. But the hyper-localness, the hyper-localness of all this made me realize something. I think that still exists for following teams regularly. But in terms of having guys represent the All-Star game, we're totally in agreement of that. Where, you know, you should have the best players there. But what about the TV product for everybody watching those games? Because, I mean, there's a reason why they switched up that All-Star skills format, right? And in recent years, I'm not seeing a lot of people clamor to watch the All-Star game on TV, so, yes, you're right. We're, we're, I, think, I think you're right in the fact that we should have the best players there. But until the game itself turns into, like, a must-watch for a lot of fans, and I'm not going off numbers. I'm just really going off of how people talk about it. Right. Isn't it more of a moot point? Probably. Should be there? Probably. We sit here and argue online about who should be at the game, and then no one watches the – not no one watches the game, but, like – But people will not watch the game. It's true. I think this year might be different because it's in Toronto – and well, a, sub, a significant amount of people will watch, but it's in Toronto and there's a Thursday night event. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it's going to go. Like I'm not, this is not a prediction, but you're going to have the players in like street clothes and skates on the ice in some way. And there's, there's good. They're going to be picking teams. And you know, anyone who watched the draft format way back in the day, I covered those ones in Carolina. I remember Columbus, I think was the last one. It's kind of fun. It was off script. There was, yeah. I think it was some adult beverages consumed that might have led to the like. The point is, is there there was definitely some what were viral moments in those times out of that. And so I don't know if this will replicate it or how. I I don't know how it's going to look if it's all celebrities anyway. But there's at least now you're going to have four captains picking their own team, so we're not by division. Then you have the skills competition on the Friday where the winner individual winner we ain't talking about teams anymore we're talking about an individual winner is going to make a million bucks yes can you imagine what that friday night's going to look like for that individual and his friends i mean they could always donate that money to charity that's yeah. sort of what i expect that's sort of what i expect from the from the guy who wins no way sorry there might be a charitable aspect, but I think I, I I don't know. I sort of expect like if it's a player who's well off with that money, I see them donating that money. If Connor don't Bedard put makes that, that 
Don't do that. What was I'm not saying? Because don't what? set what? that as like they have to donate it. Like the whole point of this. I don't think they this, have to donate it. I think that's what's going to happen. The whole point of establishing this is to give a little bit more reason to care, right? But but like I until the NHL players do it for me, my default is that they won't. Right, but we've you never need to seen show me. We've never seen this. It's twelve individuals. We don't know the twelve yet. But it's going to be the twelve of the best players in the world are competing for. Are we going to know for... the twelve tomorrow? Sorry, well tomorrow. No, we gonna I mean, we're going to then once on Thursday night we're going to know thirty-two of the players in the game. We could probably guess or or start asking the you know are you in or out. We're going to have a better idea. Mm-hmm. But even still, it's going to be twelve of the best players on earth having to do individual competitions, a series of them. So like they, they don't just do it once and then like disappear into the back and goof around, right? Like no. they're gonna have to take it somewhat seriously. And one of them walks out of the building with a million bucks. And I'm gonna guess, of course, there's a charitable component. I'm not saying, but like they have to earn this million bucks against the other best players in the world. So if they want to go out and rang up a hundred thousand dollar bill with whatever, doing things I can never imagine in Toronto. I'd say all the power to them. Doing things you would never imagine in Toronto. I don't know, man. I, 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 I just naturally assume you're in a much different tax bracket than I am. So you might not be that far off. Dude. <laughs> if I ring up a $200 bill in Toronto, it's been a wild night. That means like a couple of guys got wings. Someone got a second beer. Damn. <laughs> like... Damn, and, but I'm just saying, like, yeah, I think it. I think it'll be fun. But who, like, but what does it look like on TV? At the end of the day, that what we're talking about, I have no idea. Like, how does this come off? I think there's promise to that. I don't know what the. I don't know what can change with the, the day itself because then it's it's a three on three tournament with four teams. We've seen that now for a number of seasons. Obviously, those teams will have captains, and so that's a little different versus divisions. But I don't know that that's going to be more of a TV product or not. But I, I do think the Thursday draft and the Friday skills, now that's individual with big money on the board, big money CJ approves. <laughs> what the? <laughs> big money CJ approves. Sorry, that broke me for a second. That Dude, you, you call me that. I've never called myself that once until now. You've been calling no. me that for a couple of years. Oh, man, yeah. One day one day I'll explain the story of why Big Money CJ came to be. One day I'll explain that story. One day. Yes, anyway. Not today. Not today. Let's save that. Um, did you watch the uh, did you watch Canada get eliminated at the World Juniors? Have you been watching the World Juniors much? I did watch the World Juniors. I really liked the tournament. And and I get it. Like It, it seems to like go in waves, right? Like There was a time it felt like everybody was watching and everyone – was pounding their chest and loving it. I feel like we're maybe not in the same era now, but I just find, first of all, for me, it's a chance to see a lot of these players play because I'm not, I'm just going to call it. I'm not in OHL, WHL rinks. I'm not at NCAA games. It's not the normal course of my work. Uh, Obviously I'm very familiar with a lot of the names in the games, but I haven't seen a lot of them play. So it's, it's that chance. And then it's, I just love the fact that I feel like the big games in this tournament always deliver. There, there, there are lead changes. There is chaos. There is heartbreak. There is horrible officiating, as we've seen in the last couple of days. And I just find it pretty compelling. And and you look at this time of year. I mean, I'm, I watched some NFL games over the the sort of Christmas and New Year's 
period of time. What else is there to watch? I don't know. Like I'm not a, as you know, I'm not a big movie guy and stuff. So I, for me, college it's just football. Like, you're not watching any of the the bowl no. games. I've never watched a college football game. I find it really mesmerizing that there are a lot of people who I'll ask about that. They they don't show an interest in those college bowl games, but they'll show an interest in the World Juniors, where both of them, if you really think about it, it boils down to the same thing. All the teams that are involved have highly touted prospects who we will probably see at some big level, but they also have a bunch of kids who this might be their peak. Like this is as big as it's going to get for them. And you see the heartbreak and you see the emotions wear on their, on their sleeves because it's kids at the end of the day. So, I'm re- well, so like, I'm really intrigued. I'm intrigued at why people will go all in on the world juniors, but not so much on, on, on collegiate football, but also it's Americans. It's, it's, I don't have a rooting uh, interest. It's that simple. That's true. And a lot of people who, who follow college football, they're, like if you went to Alabama or you're into the program, like there's 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 an affinity to those schools. I can understand that. But it is interesting whenever people are like, oh, man, I can't get into that at all. But it's like if you boil it down, it's more or less the same thing. Right. I should be clear then. It's not that I couldn't be interested in it. I just have never – I recognize there would be a time commitment there I'm not making. Like I'm not sure. watching normal college football. As much as everyone knows that listens to this podcast a lot, I'm a Cowboys fan. I don't even follow the NFL draft, honestly. Like I will find out who the Cowboys drafted after it's done. And I'll find like, I'll, like, I don't That's even amazing. know who the top, but I'm just saying, I don't even know who the top prospects are. I'm not pretending to be an expert. And so I can't get into college football. Cause if I turned on a random game, I'm not betting on this stuff. Like I just, I don't care. Like I, you know, I, I recognize it's amazing athletics and it's it, like, I, I know why people care. I just personally never cared about it. And that's it's, okay. By the way, I'm not trying to judge. I'm just, I've, that was just an observation I wanted to make. Right. Well, and honestly, I get why people maybe are like a little down the world juniors to some degree, but I'm just like, if you actually just like watching hockey, which is me, sure. like I'm not saying that because I'm paid to do it or like, I just enjoy watching hockey games. It's freaking competitive. It matters to the people involved. And you can tell that, right. You're not watching like preseason NHL games where, you know, okay, it matters to like 10 of the people on the ice. Cause they, they, you know, they don't, they're not going to play in the, the main games, but like it matters. There's stakes, there's atmosphere. Like it's, I just find it enjoyable and I'll still watch even after Canada lost. Of course. Like I'm curious to see what happens now in the tournament. Um, my, my observations of the Canadian team are not profound. I, that they never found their rhythm. Ironically in the game against Chechia that they lost in the quarterfinal, the best they played in the tournament was for portions of that game. Like it's one of these ones. If Canada wins on a weird bounce with 10 seconds left, instead of the other way around, they're probably going into the semifinals feeling really good for the first time all tournament because they've kind of been searching for it. They've had players in and out with injury and all this other stuff, but they they sort of unlock something in that game. And then unfortunately for them, it's a bounce the wrong way. But, you know, even as a Canadian, I, you know, I've, I have a global enough perspective. I'm happy to see other countries have success. I think it's ultimately at the end of the day, it is unquestionably better for the sport if more countries produce more great hockey players like that's that that's better for the long-term viability it's better for long-term competition i mean we're gonna have to live a long freaking time julian for hockey to ever have a world cup that rivals the way soccer's world cup is now but it could happen in 80 years like who knows if if i'm not predicting that i'm not betting on it i'm just saying like like if you have more and more places where the game becomes part of the culture or or part of what people want to do okay it's not going to probably grow to soccer's world cup because let's face it but a lot of a lot of factors working against it but even Absolutely. if it grows into something where 12 countries could win it like could conceivably win it 
that would be a huge step from where we are now. Cause I don't know where we're at. Maybe five countries could conceivably win a true best on best men's hockey tournament at this point in time. It's probably not deeper than five. Yeah. But in 30 you, years, it could right. be 12 countries that have a puncher's chance. Like that have like a legitimate shot, not just to get to the quarters, not just to upset one of the big countries, but maybe to go on a run. And that, that would, that's progress. So, you know, I'm not sure we measure progress by, one world junior tournament, but then I know a lot of Canadians forgot what happened last year where Canada won against Slovakia on an all world overtime goal by a generational player in Connor Bedard, one on four in the quarters. And they won the gold medal against Chechia in overtime after losing to Chechia earlier in the tournament. So like, you know, I didn't go back and watch those games, but when you're winning by those narrow margins, there's probably times you, you could have lost it either by a save, a bad bounce, for the other team, one that hit the post and went out instead of went in. Uh, and t- this this one didn't work out in Canada's favor, but I'll still be watching. You know, on Thursday, we got to two semifinals, and I'm kind of rooting for Sweden, I have to say. Like, not just because, just like, that's a country that obviously has a, a huge hockey history, and, and they've had a lot of tough luck or, or poor performance or whatever it is in this tournament, and they're on home soil, and the atmosphere looks awesome in Gothenburg if you've watched the games. And so I'm I'm curious to see how the Swedish team does. I'm I'm guessing Team USA is most likely to win the gold medal, but it's single elimination hockey, baby. Anything can happen. One gold in 42 years for Sweden. I too would love to see it uh, for for Sweden in their home in in their in with home advantage too. I I, I personally would love to see that. Right, and they uh, still needed yeah. some maybe some favorable calls and an overtime goal yeah, against against call. Switzerland though. I'm just saying like garbage. I guess my point is we could be talking about how Sweden and Canada went out just as easily on this podcast. Like the margins are so narrow. I think people forget that in hockey sometimes. I don't know why. Like obviously Canada's had the biggest run of success at the top levels of the sport, but nothing is guaranteed to anyone. I think that's probably the biggest argument to watch games like this. And and when we get a world cup back and hopefully Olympics and all that going again, is like, who knows what's going to happen? Cause it's in one game of hockey. It's crazy. I mean, I remember when Switzerland beat Canada in Turin. That's a long time ago, 2006. 2006. I think Canada had like 52 shots in the game or something. Like, you know, I'm not saying they played a perfect game, but it's a tough game to lose when you have 52 shots, but it can happen. That's the sport. Did you watch any of the PWHL games this week? I've been, I've been watching a lot of hockey. I watched both. Yes. I've watched both of the first two games. Uh, the Toronto New York uh, opener on January first, and then the the Montreal game at Ottawa on, on January second. And I got to tell you, it was like spine tingling. I have to say, the energy is unreal. And I'm I'm just I I've, you know, I don't want to at all like put myself forward here because I haven't been out there like hitting the drum for, you know, women's sport. In, in hockey, but I'm just happy for, I know a lot of people have and, and to see it not just launch, but launch at that angle. You know, we talk about launch angle in baseball. Like this thing was like off the bat straight to the moon, Dude. Uh, right out of the gate. And I just think it's so cool. I, I was feeling like literally like the hair was up on my arm watching it the, the, before the game in Toronto. And then it almost went to another level. I don't know if you saw the second night, but with 8,300 people in the crowd in Ottawa, new new record for a pro women's game. Yeah. And just like the game itself was awesome. It went back and forth. There's like a Marie-Philippe penalty shot that stopped. There's what looked like the first goal in Ottawa history, and it went under the side of the goal and it comes back in review. Then Ottawa does score. Then Montreal comes back. 
you know, back and forth goes to overtime. Like it was just a, it was, even if you don't, and I will profess, I don't know all the players up and down the rosters. Like I'm not watching it in that degree, but it was just exciting. And you could see the, the, the emotion, the crowd I'm pumped, man. I'm actually going to a game in the crowd in February in Ottawa. Uh, I got family down that way. And one of the Christmas gifts I gave to the, my niece and nephew was bought some tickets to a game in Ottawa that's on nice. fa- on family day weekend there, but I'm like, just, I'm just pumped to go and sit in the crowd and watch one of these games. I mean, uh, it's impossible to get a ticket. I know right now in Toronto, I hope, I don't know the exact status around the league, but it seems like it's all been positive and I don't know. It just feels like this is, this is for real, for real. If you know what I'm saying? Yo, I, I feel you. And I, I wish I, I lived in a PWHL market. Cause if I was in Montreal right now, I would be, I'd be rounding up friends. Like I'd probably be going with with uh, Andrew Berkshire from Game Over, Maximo as well. We'd be yeah. going to a game. We would be going to games, and uh, I can't wait until PWHL Calgary becomes a thing. If that's in the works, I, I don't have any intel on that. But I, I I got to watch a little bit of the Montreal Ottawa game. I, I went to a bar, and it was up on a screen. It was up on one or two screens, or at least one screen I was watching. And I was trying to watch that at the same time as the Calgary Minnesota game. It was just cool to be in a bar where that's just on the TV. And it's it's the norm. And that's that's the whole point of these things, right? Like, I, I'm really happy that this league was able to get off the ground. And I'm really happy that at, uh, at The Athletic, we're going to have some really great coverage. Haley Salvian's been le- leading the charge on that. But, yeah, like, I, I think the quality of the game, the, qual- the look of the league as well. I, I get some people will complain about the jerseys and the branding. But I Come think this on. is actually a really good start. It's a good start. Did you know that they put this thing together in six months? Yeah. Like, like. They- I would actually argue it's cooler that they're starting. This literally is the original six of this league. Yeah. And and it's it's born out of a place like this came out of nowhere. I mean, obviously it was a lot of years of work, but it, but you know, in late June, early July, this 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 idea was formed and they just went for it. I think it's cooler that they have basically anonymous jerseys because guess what's going to happen over time? There's going to become fan bases and mascots and and you know, team nicknames and and maybe different color schemes or like all that stuff is going to evolve kind of naturally. Like you're watching the start of something and on the first two nights, totally sold out. I mean, Ottawa, I don't feel much about the the rink there, Julian. They, they had originally only sold about 4,500 tickets. That is the lower bowl. And they weren't even planning on selling the upper bowl, but they had no choice because the demand was so high. Yeah. Like, I don't think even the owners or the, the people I'm not sure they would have allowed themselves to dream this big. That's, that's what I took from it. You know, I read a really great story that Haley and, and Ian Mendez wrote on, on the game specifically in Ottawa on, on night two and Carlo McLeod, the head coach of the, the Ottawa team was just talking about how like, yeah, we could come in here and talk about a result. Their team lost three, two in overtime. Like it was like, that would be missing the whole freaking point of it. Like um, something special is going on there. And, and I don't think it's going to stop. It's not to say there won't be roadblocks and, and difficult times ahead. I mean, look at the NHL is a pretty wildly successful league with 32 teams. We could still talk about some problem spots and things that go on like that will, that will probably always be part of the conversation, but they're, they're off to such a strong start. I mean, I feel like a, it won't be long before you're seeing more markets and, and in the markets they're in like Mattamy where the Leafs play or sorry, where the, the Toronto team plays is the old Maple Leaf gardens. It's like 2,500 seats. Like it's already like, come on if you go on StubHub, the tickets are ridiculous. Like, like they, they should be clearly the demand outstrips the supply right now. And so 
hopefully they can find their, themselves to a different venue next year where there's more seats to sell. And, you know, obviously that's going to keep the thing going, but I mean, I, I, I have like this, it could not be better. I'll say that it could not have started better than it did. Very well said. Did you watch the winter classic? A little bit. I watched it first period. Okay. And I watched highlights. like parts of the second period and the third period. I watched the first period and the highlights. Okay. It, yeah. I mean, it looked cool. I mean, it's cool that fake, like the idea, if you would have told me like three years ago, Vegas and Seattle would play each other in a winter classic. I'd be like, huh? But they found a way to make it look really good at least. Yeah. I love the opening. The crowd looked like it had a great time. Obviously it helps when the home team wins. It's New Year's day. You know, at the risk of repeating myself, I will say you, I'm not telling everyone at home. They have to watch every outdoor game. Cause I get it. It might get a little like stale from afar. It's the novelty may be worn off. Ultimately when the puck drops, it is just an NHL game. But if you're in the building, if you're there, I know producer Nick was there doing his, his work for sports that, I mean, I, I just, I think it's, it's a cool atmosphere. It's, it's neat for the market. It's cool to have that many people in a game. It, it's once in how many years, like it's not like we see a lot of repeat venues over time. So th- that, that, you know, it might be 20 years before there's another outdoor game in Vegas. So or sorry, in Seattle rather. And so I thought, I thought it was good. I don't have any like hot takes on the winter classic. I still think it has a place on the calendar. I think it's, it's at the point now where it just, it makes sense. They're going to have one every year. It's going to be a, a killer in, in the place where it's had, like there's never empty seats of these things. Like it's always sold out. I mean, yeah. you tell, I just tell, like, I just think it's a cool event on the ground. If you're flipping around on new year's day, maybe you don't sit and watch the whole game. I didn't even watch the whole game as I mentioned, but I still think it's, it's great that they have the, the, the event itself. What about the next one? Do we know anything about where the next one will be? It's up in the air a little bit. You know, the, the NHL has toured the Ohio state stadium. And I know there's some desire to try to bring the game to Columbus. Um, I, you know, from what I understand, there's some concerns about that stadium in terms of being winterized enough to have the a winter classic there. So I, I don't know if it's going to happen next year. I mean, it's, it's been 12 minutes since Chicago was in an outdoor game. So you wonder about, <laughs> I mean, Chicago, I just kidding. But Chicago has been in a lot of outdoor games, including one many years ago at Wrigley field that I, I covered for the Canadian press back in the day. Uh, both as a, an opponent as as the host, and now they have Connor Bedard on the team, and so that's that's a very strong market for the NHL in the states. Obviously, a strong TV market. You have a very marketable player, so you wonder do they find a way to get them involved? I mean, let let's see where it shakes down. I I I do think that Columbus should be on everyone's radar, though. The Blue Jackets are one of a handful of teams that have never played an outdoor game, and I think Ohio State is an appealing venue. Just just not certain it's going to come together in time for the 2025 version, but, but I do think we'll see outdoor NHL hockey at that, that venue at some point in the future. And you know, that Bedard guy is pretty good in Chicago. So maybe, maybe they'll find a way to, to feature him on new year's day next year. I think so. Uh, I, I realize we're, we're just jumping through all these different topics while our, our brains are kind of wired as they are right now. Do you have any thoughts on the, on the Ryan Hartman situation in Minnesota? Oof. open-ended question. <laughs> Okay. Right. I mean, well, like, do you want me? I think this thing, ha- this stuff happens all the time. Honestly, like that's not excusing it though. I, you know, I, I don't know that that's where I find kind of the line is a hard one to draw because first of all, I do understand why 
you know, there was a time when players weren't mic'd in games, coaches weren't mic'd in games, referees weren't mic'd in games. And if you, if that was your job and you're used to not doing it that way, all of a sudden someone wants to put a mic on you. It is naturally a little bit invasive as much as it's cool when a guy scores an overtime winner in the cup final and he's mic'd up and you hear, you can hear the celebration. Like that's great. But then there's a lot of other stuff that's maybe a little bit more. You just wonder where, you know, who hears it and where it ends up because you know, the ice can be, it's a different workplace and you and I work in Julian, you and I talk into a microphone for a living. So I know that what comes yes. out of here, I got to own it, but it's a little different when you're not used to wearing one. So there was an agreement made years ago that in exchange for wearing those microphones, that, that it wouldn't be used against the players. And so it wasn't a factor ultimately in what player safety was, was ruling when they gave Hartman the, the, you know, $4,400 fine for intentionally high sticking Cole Perfetti, basically in retaliation for something that happened to his teammate. Kirill Kaprizov in a game the day before in Winnipeg. I, I just think this sort of thing, like, I don't want to brush it off and be like, it's nothing, but I also, I don't know. I'm not sure what should be different because if players start getting nailed for that, they might be like, okay, I'm never wearing a microphone again. So is that, does that serve the interest of the league? Um, even Perfetti, like I, I, I wish I could talk to him. He didn't seem that upset about it. I don't know if you saw the way he, he spoke about it with the reporters in Winnipeg. He was pretty matter of fact though. He's just like, yeah, I got, he said he whacked me because of this. Like, I just, I guess we'd like to say this doesn't exist in the sport, but I mean, we, we all watch it, right? Like last night there was a moment I was watching the, the Kings Leafs game and Austin Matthews gets dumped in kind of a vulnerable position by Pierre-Luc Dubois. And, you know, I think a lot of people were celebrating that the, the Leafs went and at least sort of roughed up Dubois and like nothing bad came out of it. Um, but it was a response thing. Like, like the whole, the whole game is kind of a version of response. And so, I'm certainly not condoning the actions, but it's hard for me to be like, I can't believe Ryan Hartman did that because I sort of feel like that's the game, but I don't know. Am I, am I, you tell me, am I like on the wrong side of the dinosaur curve here? Like, like how do you feel? I don't, I, I think it's really weird that we have that rule in with the mic stuff, but if it's the rule, I guess it's the rule. I, I think you do make a good point that if we start messing with that, to one degree, yes, uh, players aren't going to wear mics anymore, and that affects a part of the NHL product. But, I mean, I haven't heard the audio for myself, whatever was said, but, like, if if it's something that should be used, if it's something if something really bad was said, like, that has to cause some kind of concern, right? True, and that's actually a good point you raise. I haven't heard the audio. Like, I don't know how it was said, what was yeah, said. Yeah, I don't know. Like, we've heard how Perfetti sort of relayed the conversation or the dialogue to reporters. But I, I don't know. I might have a different opinion if we ever hear the audio. It's funny. The Jets account on, on X, nay Twitter, uh, kind of teased that the next uh, version of their, I can't remember what they call their, their series, but it's, you know, sort of behind the scenes series that they put out as a team. I think they said it comes out January 16th, but they, they like, they kind of teased that maybe we'll hear the audio then. I don't know if that's the case or not. Interesting. But, you know, I'd like to, I, I reserve the right to change my opinion if I hear what's on the, the tape, but it, it's, it's hard to, I don't know. I'm not sure either. I'm really not sure. Like, I don't know how much he crossed the line. I guess it, it's yeah. sort of understood within the game that there's some amount of retribution. It's a weird thing though. Also, like as Perfetti himself said, like he had nothing to do with the original hit. Yeah. Dude's taking a face off. He just gets whacked in the face for a couple stitches. I mean, he should be penalized for that. Like, that was very blatantly, like, offside. 
Right, but are you saying he should be suspended four games? Like, I, I don't know about that. But doesn't he have a history of being a bad... He, Brian Hartman has a history of being a... I think he's had three suspension and seven fines, if I remember. He's, he has a history of being a dirty player. He does. Right, well... It's fair. I just... It's, it's, it's one of these weird... It lands right in the gray. Because when I think about it... Well, also, here's the other thing. Like, did... I mean, I mean, does it even matter though? I was gonna say, did Hartman even know the guy's mic'd up? But does that even matter? I, I don't even know if that matters. I know it's a lot to think about this. Well, we, we think about it. Just like imagine if all of a sudden you can never say anything that isn't used against you. I don't know. Man, the, the, you, to your point, there there might be a larger conversation to be. It's had an aggressive it. sport, though. Like a lot of stuff gets said, a lot of things happen. I mean, that, at the end of the day. I, I'm guessing that that is actually nowhere near the worst thing that's happened even in the last five days. It's just that we've got to know about it through this sort of unique set of circumstances around it, but not Since for the this, faint of heart, no. this sport. Since this was a long episode and we packed a lot of information on it and it's the first week of the year, mm-hmm. do you have a stick tap? If you don't, I'm okay with moving it to next week. I have a stick tap, but an oh. easy one. Okay. Max Pacioretty, my man. I like that. That's cool. I mean, almost a year between games after missing all the, the months and the, the initial Achilles tear to see him come back and play for Washington on Wednesday. Hard not to give a little stick tap to Max. Just an unfortunate set of circumstances in a career with, with two Achilles injuries back to back at his age. If you actually look across his last hundred games, he has something like 98 points. Like, unfortunately he's been robbed of this time, but let's hope this is the beginning of a healthy run for him with the capitals. And I do think that for all the rehab and work that goes into just getting back, he's deserving a stick, stick tap to see that through, to push through, you know, obviously he's played a lot of games in the league. He's made a lot of money, but uh, the love of the game clearly still brought him back to where he's playing in the NHL today. Okay, then I will give my stick tap to uh, Anne-Sophie Betez, who uh, plays for the PWHL Montreal team, who uh, was the goal scorer of the overtime winner uh, that gave Montreal its first win over Ottawa er- earlier this week in the first ever OT game in PWHL history. All right, I wasn't sure if you were going to be able to come up I with a ready. good uh, stick tap segment. We could have given uh, it to Ella Shelton, too. She scored the first ever goal in PWHL did. history for New York on, on absolutely New Year's Day, that. but... We absolutely could have done that as well. Just a really good week uh, all around when it comes to the sport that we cover. Awesome. Yeah. We're back, bud. We're, this is the fourth different calendar year we've recorded a show. When you put it like that, that's really special. We've done over 200 episodes of this show. I know, but we started late 2021, all of 2022, all of 2023. Now we're early 2024. I love that. Man. Continuity, like said, my friend. Like I said, at the end of 2023, this train is not stopping. Uh, so get on it because uh, we've got more episodes to come. Subscribe to our show. However you listen to our show, uh, subscribe to the STPN YouTube channel, which I believe not that far off from 100,000 subscribers. And if you're not subscribed already, like, what are you doing? What are you hit, doing? Hit Just... that button. Smash, smash, smash. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I don't want to break my microphone. <laughs> whoa. I'll calm down. Anyway. Uh, We'll be back on Monday with a brand new episode of The CJ Show. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long. Happy New Year. And peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie.